everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today is Chris McCann, the CEO at Current Health. Chris, how are you today? I'm awesome, Jared. How are you? Doing really well. Excited to have you here today. Let's dive right into it. Tell us about your background. Yeah, so firstly, um, as will be obvious from my accent, I'm not an American. I know it's hard to tell, but I'm originally from the west coast of Scotland, although now living in Boston. Uh, did a degree in computer science, um, then went to medical school, loved medical school, and um, was training to be a physician, met my now uh, fiance there. But in my third year, started Current Health, um, really based on um, my own experiences with my grandmother. She was like many patients within our health system. She was in her uh, late 70s, had COPD and heart failure and dementia, and was recurrently admitted to hospital for things that could and should have been managed at home. But being inside the healthcare system a little bit as a medical student, you start to realize why it's actually really difficult for someone like my grandmother to get care at home. And we started Current Health to try and close those gaps and make it easier for health systems to deliver care at home um, across any population. You you said that you know you have a very you have an interesting background, right? You're not from the U.S. Let's talk a little bit more about that because that means you've got to experience you know NHS, for instance. How has that helped you in building out current health, that experience, seeing a different, a different healthcare structure, a major you know, health system? Uh, can you talk more about that? Yeah, sure. So w- when Stuart and I started the company, neither of us had really any experience in um, building healthcare companies, selling to the NHS or into American healthcare. Certainly didn't know any of the policy details in US healthcare. But what we did know was that the NHS had a um, perceived history, and I'm, I'm going to call it perceived history, of not adopting innovation. And founders in the UK, therefore, traditionally went straight to the US market. And that was our initial approach was, hey, we're going to go straight to the US and we'll see the NHS as a test bed, if you like, to develop our product, get a little bit of um, evidence around it, but then go straight to the straight to the United States. That isn't actually the way it played out. We have a really significant business in the UK now, which um, I would not have expected back in 2014 when we started the company. I I think there are really interesting differences between the UK and US, but also really interesting similarities. So the differences are that obviously we have a single payer, the government, and there's greater alignment between that payer and the community interest. So, you know, it's almost one at the, the macro level, it's one big value-based care system. However, the similarities are that the individual hospitals are actually typically paid on a fee-for-service basis, just like in um, just like in America. And those individual hospitals don't necessarily want to not have admissions because that's where they get um, get revenue. But because central government is incentivized to bring down cost, they are really incentivized the delivery of care at home. And that grew even more during COVID. And that has um, really hugely benefited our business. And now we have um, a really sizable portion of the UK market. What I think was interesting is that that um, fee for service piece that's just as relevant in the UK is obviously so significant here in the United States. So understanding that dynamic of how healthcare is actually paid for prepared us really well for the US because the 
I think the fundamental thing that I see now in founders trying to come into the healthcare space is a misunderstanding of how healthcare is paid for and how important it is in understanding how healthcare is paid for. And in the US, the financial model for care at home is still too weak and immature. And that's one of the biggest things that's holding back our space because we don't have that um, single incentive to reduce cost. It just doesn't exist in the, the US market. Can you tell our audience, Chris, a little bit about you know what the relationship with, with Best Buy is and what Best Buy, you know, along along with obviously the you know, the relationship with current health now. What what else is Best Buy doing in healthcare? Because um I think it's really important for people to continue to hear more about that. You've, yeah. Your team's been doing a great job of talking more about it, but um, if you anything else you can tell us. Yeah, so I think when I announced to the team that Best Buy were acquiring us, they um, thought it must have been Chrissy's crazy accent. There's no way he can just have said Best Buy. I mean, most people don't know that Best Buy is even in health, and most people don't naturally um, see them as being a healthcare company. What was really interesting for me and why I was so excited about the acquisition is that the challenges around um, delivering care at home aren't actually technology problems, they're physical problems. Um, People talk about virtual care, but it's not really virtual. It's still actually physical at the end of the day. And we have a group of patients and consumers of which 50% don't have internet access. Um, the majority of them over, are over 65, and actually most of them are pretty low income. A lot of them don't um, uh, have poor literacy. They need a bit of extra help. They need someone to go in and help them set things up. And Best Buy is actually the best in the world at those physical solutions, things like Geek Squad. So being able to take something into the home, set it up, provide that education and consultation, the logistics and supply chain. And those are things that health systems aren't good at and nor should they have to be. They've never had to do that before. But Best Buy is world-class at that. So for me and why I was so excited about it is we had a retailer in Best Buy that wasn't trying to, quote-unquote, disrupt healthcare, but help evolve healthcare by bringing what they were really good at and partnering with what health systems were really good at and then bringing in our technology and our services and so that we could deliver the whole gamut of care at home. Yeah, I, I kind of liked hearing Best Buy was getting more into healthcare, and obviously the acquisition of Current Health showcased that more more than anything, right? Um, and, and it definitely helps having them, you know, in your corner as you continue to, you know, try to fix some of the big problems in healthcare. You know, that being said, scaling uh, healthcare in the home is not an easy task. Yeah. So. You know, talk us through some of the challenges that you still face in this space. And then maybe if, you know, sprinkle in how is Best Buy, you know, helping to enable, you know, the right changes that need to take place here. Yeah. So I think the first set of challenges are all infrastructure related. So as I said already, you know, half our populations commonly don't have internet access. And um, many of them need a bit of extra help to set up or use kit or just need a bit more confidence even sometimes it's it's not that they um don't know how to use it it's just that they don't naturally feel confident in having someone sitting beside them in the way that a a, a grandchild or, or son or daughter might with a parent or grandparent and talking them through it you know can have a profound impact on ability to to be inside the program those basic connectivity barriers 
are so critical to making this work and making it work in an equitable way. Um, one of the things that's always been really, really important to me is that care at home is not just for people with means, but it's for anyone. And that means we have to be able to solve some of those um, connectivity and infrastructure barriers. And Geek Squad, for me, it was a superpower because that's what they do every single day. And actually, they do it with far more complicated technology than what, um, what we have. I think that the um, second thing is about how we make this cost effective. And obviously Best Buy with a massive scaled organization and scaled economics in some of their um, physical services helps us make it more cost effective in the market. And that's really, really important because ultimately we have to fit within the um, envelope of cost and revenue that's possible in these economic models. The, the third big challenge where Best Buy is playing a big role that, that perhaps wouldn't be intuitive is around public policy and around um, payment model reform. Because... You know, up until the omnibus bill, the acute care at home waiver, which has allowed hospital home to grow, you know, that was going to end. We were part of helping get that into the omnibus bill, which has extended it for a couple of years. But also working with Medicare, with payers, with our hospital partners to look at how we um, reform payment models to make it, to, to, to create more of an incentive to deliver care at home is next to those infrastructure barriers so critical and Best Buy huge organization obviously has an ability um, to help um, drive some of those discussions in a way that current health on our own might not have. One of the things that, Chris, I wanted to, to talk with you since we have you on is value-based care, right? We've heard people talk about value-based care and healthcare for so long, it seems, but you know, it's like the progress of value-based care has not matched how much people have talked about it yet. And there's, you know, a, a bunch of different issues that is, you know, stopping it from, from really reaching its full potential, right? But can you talk about some of these emerging care models and like what the impact here is? Yeah. So um, I, I think there's a, a, first a couple of, couple of obstacles that I think are there and how to do this. The first one is that um, intuitively for value-based care to work, cost has to come down. And that means someone somewhere feels like they're losing out. You know, someone has to accept less revenue. I think the second thing is that a lot of the organizations who deliver that value-based care or, or want to deliver value-based care or, or could deliver value-based care haven't necessarily in, invested over the last 10 years in the systems and data and analytics teams that are necessary to actually allow them to play in value-based care in the first place. I think what um, we are trying to do is say firstly, well, yeah, it might mean less overall revenue, but that revenue can actually be much higher margin. Um, so it's you know maybe less on the top line, but it's much better on the bottom line. It's also better for patients and the data shows that. Um, and how do we act as a partner to help them build these models? How do we help show, you know, for example, we have good primary data that shows we can reduce the cost of bariatric surgery procedures by you know, $17,000. That's pretty dramatic. How do we work together with the hospital and the payer to create a specific model that allows that to happen and that benefits the patient, it benefits the whole ecosystem. Um, I also think the extension of the acute care at home waiver 
was really, really, really critical because what that model did was basically say, hey, we'll still pay you the DLG, but you can deliver that care at home. And that actually creates a lot more money to be able to deliver care in that new way. Um, it's not quite a bundle payment, but it's, um, it's an interesting way of allowing the hospital to play with more money into a care at home environment than they would have been able to do before. And the data from that is showing patients are safer, better experience, and ultimately, I think it will show its lower cost overall. Yeah, that was that was part, you know, of what I wanted to to follow up with. So thank you so much for answering it regarding, um, you know, and if there's anything else you want to add to this. But you know, as these care models continue to evolve, what is you know what does the future look like? How do they impact the future of you know healthcare uh, delivery? Um, if there's anything else you wanted to add, but you you actually you tied those both in really nicely there. So I mean, I think. The only thing I'd say is probably the obvious and everyone keeps saying it, which is like the United States, we spend like dramatically more money than the vast majority of the rest of the world, but for poorer outcomes. So we're getting a kind of crappy deal out of it at the moment for, for really everyone involved. Um, for me, given the growth in our population and the pressure that that's putting on Medicare, the only way we come out of this is if we innovate in how we deliver care. We just cannot continue the way that we are. You know, we will not be able to sustainably deliver healthcare into the future on the current way of working. Um, care at home is it's not a replacement for care in the hospital. It, it, it's not an either. It, it's a. There are always patients who will need inpatient care. It's about saying, is there a percentage of patients today in hospital who could receive that care at home? And we definitively know the answer to that is yes. We've proven that over COVID time and time and time again. And for those patients, they achieve better outcomes. It's a better experience and it's lower cost. And um, we have to therefore make sure that the financial incentives and payment models allow us to take that forward and for those patients allow them to get care at home so we can sustainably deliver healthcare into the future. What's next for, for you, Chris, and for current health that you want to share? I mean, I think we're incredibly busy. Um, the amount of um, interest and work we have from all of our hospital partners across the United States and United Kingdom is, um, is incredible. And I'm excited to work, truly excited to work with so many incredible innovators within those healthcare systems who want to do this differently. So my number one goal is bringing this to as many patients across the US and UK as possible. And with every single one of them proving the model, showing the economic and clinical and experience data, because I think that data showing how this works and showing how it can work within our slightly screwed up healthcare system um, is going to be really, really, really critical to how this becomes embedded for, you know, forevermore. Well, Chris, I want to thank you once again for, for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. And hopefully we can have you come on again real soon and maybe get you on some panels. Yeah, we'd love that. Nice to see you, Jared.